You are listening to the Restoration LA podcast. For more, visit us at restorationla.org. We are in a series called Higher. Can you guys say Higher? Higher. And this this series is is based on um, the passage from Isaiah chapter uh, 55. Let me get there really quick. I get all these higher songs coming out now. We can say, lift Jesus higher. All right, um, Isaiah chapter 55. And I'm gonna just read verses eight through nine. This is where we opened up last week. And we went through the whole chapter of Isaiah 55, but we we're focusing on these two verses as a catapult for this series. And it reads like this, for my thoughts. Whose thoughts? It's the Lord. The, the Lord is, is speaking here. My thoughts are not your thoughts. My thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways. Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. Now listen, this is a declaration. This isn't a small statement. Anytime we see declares the Lord, you can picture the the Lord standing tall and maybe even asserting himself in a position that is declaring a truth that we need to give attention to. So my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. Verse 9, for as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. And so the whole premise of this series is based on the understanding that Jesus doesn't think like we do and Jesus' ways are different than our ways. If you believe that, say amen. And I believe a lot of the times that we find an imbalance in, in following Jesus and, and changing our mind to think like him is for this very fact that his thoughts are higher than our thoughts and his ways are higher than our ways. We are brought up in a culture or maybe even brought up in in a family system that has trained us to think a certain way. And when we encounter the kingdom of God, those two things are in conflict. And when we see our, our historic thinking encounter the thinking of the kingdom of God, there, there, there's going to be a wrestle. How many of you have ever experienced one of those wrestles? And what we have to come to the conclusion, or the conclusion we must come to as Christians, in every situation that we are in conflict with Jesus' word, is that Jesus is right. If we are in conflict with Jesus' word, we must submit to the truth of Jesus as an act of surrender because he is Lord. Jesus being Lord, it, 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 it could feel like this and it should feel like this, but it's going to be based on a foundation of, of love. But it should be like this. Jesus is always right. Now, as a parent, I am not always right. And, 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 and there are times, there are times, honestly, Vanessa and I have had to ask our children for forgiveness because we are not always right. If I mistakenly yelled at the wrong child, <laughs> if I mistakenly accused the wrong child of eating that certain thing that, you know, I was saving for myself. <laughs> or it, we, 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 we can be wrong very easily. 
And so in that we are not perfect, Jesus is. King Jesus is perfect. King Jesus is always right. And I know that's a hard thing to wrestle with because maybe you came from an authoritarian family where it's like what I say is goes, whether it's right or wrong. In the kingdom of God, it's not like that. It's based on a revelation. If you remember Isaiah 55, Jesus reveals himself to Isaiah. And so Isaiah has a revelation of who Jesus is and he has come to the conclusion, a supernatural conclusion that Jesus is, Thoughts are higher than our thoughts, and his ways are higher than our ways. Why? Because God has declared it. God has declared it. So verse 9 again, For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. And so this is the premise of our series. And so there's going to be a lot of things that we're going to present to you in this series. This is probably going to be one of the lighter ones that won't be as offensive, but I believe it is a very important one in the kingdom of God. You see, the kingdom of God is kind of this upside-down kingdom. What we consider first, Jesus considers last. What we prioritize here on earth, Jesus doesn't prioritize. And what Jesus prioritizes in the kingdom of God, we don't prioritize. And so there's this upside-down kingdom, and this is why Jesus is needing us to understand that his thoughts are higher than our thoughts, and his ways are higher than our ways, because when there's passages like one I'm going to present to us this morning are presented to us, we're going to say, that doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense that this thing would be in that order, because my experience is it should be in this order. But in the kingdom of God, all of that has to be reorganized. How many of you have had to do some reorganizing in your life that doesn't make sense? Luke chapter 6. You guys can turn there with me. We are going to be going verses 17 through 26, but I want to be adding some different verses in the context of this passage to just kind of highlight a few more things. But you could keep your fingers on Luke 6, 17 through 26. And he came down with them and stood on a level place with a great crowd of his disciples and a great multitude of people from all Judea and Jerusalem and the sea coast of Tyre and Sidon who came to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. And those who were troubled with unclean spirits were cured and all the crowd sought to touch him for power came out from him and healed them all. And so here's this tremendous opportunity that Jesus has because people are desperate to encounter Jesus. They're desperate to touch him. They're desperate to be healed. They're desperate to be cleaned of unclean spirits. And so there, there, there's something powerful when there's an expectation. And, and I wonder how many of us still carry expectation of Jesus. I wonder how many of us still carry expectations when we are going to come to a gathering like this, that Jesus is going to do something. I wonder if we're carrying this, this supernatural expectation that if I just encounter Jesus, something is going to happen. So I want you to look at someone next to you and say, something's going to happen. Something's going to happen. Some of you are still skeptical. Like, I don't know. <laughs> He's going to make us do something right now. Listen, people troubled by unclean spirits. Sick people with diseases. Listen, they came to touch Jesus. That's the verbiage in scripture. They came to touch Jesus. 
And I think in our context, many of us come because we want Jesus to touch us. I want Jesus to help me. I want Jesus to solve my problems. Jesus knows what I'm going through. I want him to touch me. I want him to fix it all. These people came with an expectation that they were going to touch Jesus. Like the woman with the issue of blood. There was an expectation that if I can just touch Jesus, something will happen. How many of you still have that expectation? Maybe you had it when you first came to Jesus. If I just said yes to Jesus, something will happen. Forgiveness will come. Grace will come over my life. And I get to become this new creation in him. How many of you remember what that felt like? When God forgave you of your sins, delivered you from the power of sin over your life because you believed in Jesus and something happened, it did. But how many of us continue to live with that expectation? That if I can just continue to touch Jesus, things will continue to happen in my life. This this is faith, friends. This is what faith is. That if I can just touch Jesus, something will happen. This is the faith that these people carried. How many times do we hear Jesus commending those that he had touched or healed because of their faith? I mean, just think in the scriptures, if you remember, maybe if you grew up in church and you remember the Bible study stories and Jesus healing this person, healing the little girl and Jesus healing the blind man and Jesus healing the man that was lowered from the ceiling into the house and all these things. It was Jesus would say, your faith has made you well. Your faith has made you whole. No greater faith have I seen in all of Israel because you chose to reach out to me. You chose to reach out to me. Friends, when you are desperate, do you run to Jesus still? When you are desperate, do you still run to Jesus? When we were desperate for Jesus because we were in a sinful state and we had a a recognition that I am sinful, And because I am sinful, I know that if I were to die today, that I would live in eternity separated from God. And so in that desperation, we ran to Jesus. Have we continued that pattern with our walk with Jesus? To continue to run to Jesus. When you're desperate, desperately sick, or desperately angry, Under demonic spiritual attack, do you still run to Jesus? Or do you run to a human agency? Maybe you run to alcohol or drugs, or maybe you run to that website. We need to run to Jesus. This is what a place of desperation gets us to. And as these people have come to Jesus in this context, to touch Jesus, to heal them of their sicknesses and their diseases and their unclean spirits. And listen, and and the place that they were living in, this is ancient Palestine. These Jews were poor. And I want us to recognize the context. If you look at the meta-narrative in the New Testament, Jesus came to preach to the poor, the, the, the economic and socially poor. He could have came and, 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 and set up his ministry in prominent Rome. He could have came to the Roman Empire. And he could have been preaching in, in, in the halls of these great, you know, coliseums. And my Roman history is escaping me right now. But he could have preached in all these great places to, the, to Pontius Pilate and to the Caesar and to all of these people who, who were in cultural, had cultural status. But Jesus revealed himself to who? To the poor. 
to these people who were oppressed by the Roman Empire and by Herod. This was where his ministry was based. This is, this is, this is how he chose to present himself to the world through a people who were poor. And so Jesus, looking at these people who have come to touch him, he begins to minister. Listen to this in verse 20. And he lifted up his eyes on his disciples and said, Blessed are you who are poor. Blessed are you who are poor. For yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are poor because yours is the kingdom of God. Verse 21 says, Blessed are you who are hungry now for you shall be satisfied. And then he says this, blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. I mean, this, 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 I mean is, is Jesus speaking some like yin, yang, like stuff that just like, like giving these reciprocal things just to mess with their heads? Like you're poor now, but you're going to get the kingdom. And when we think about the kingdom, look to the book of Revelation and you see what the kingdom of God, the new heaven, the new earth is going to look like streets of gold, pearly gates. I mean, just think about this. He's not just giving them like this reciprocal thing that, that he's trying to, you know, kind of weigh up the difference. He is showing them there is so much more. Blessed are you who are hungry because you will be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep for you shall laugh. I don't know about you. I've been poor, extremely poor, grew up poor. I didn't feel blessed. Been hungry. You can tell I'm not hungry anymore. But I've been hungry. I remember when food stamps used to run out on the seventh of the month and then you had to scrape by for the rest of the month to, you know, we would run up the, the tab on the donut man's uh, credit line. Man, my mom was mad when she had to go pay that off at the end of the month. Blessed are you who weep. I've wept. When you mourn and when you've lost someone, you don't feel blessed. What is Jesus saying? What is this? How does this make sense? How, do, how, 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 do, how does Jesus get us from, from this to blessed? How does Jesus get us from this place to bless? And, and, and listen, friends, this is, this is what, I, what I want to come to. I think, I think scarcity brings desperation. I think when you are poor, and I think when you are hungry, and I think when you are broken and you weep and you, you feel like you, you are in the depths of despair because you're experiencing loss, scarcity brings desperation. And I believe that desperation is what brings us to a, a place of faith. If I can just touch Jesus. When you have nowhere else to turn, you turn to Jesus. When the government can't help you, you turn to Jesus. When your family can't help you, you turn to Jesus. When the self-help things aren't working, you turn to Jesus. This is our faith step. This is what we do. And somehow Jesus is telling us, telling us this is why you are blessed. Because in this place, your, your, your only response is to turn to me. 
This is how the blessing comes. This is how, this is the avenue of blessing that you are going to receive from this place is if you will turn to me. And, and honestly, friends, the only way I can describe it is, is like this, is when, when you go and you minister into other nations, Val and Seth are going to come and give us a report from Cuba um, just towards the end of the service. When you, when you go and, and, and you minister into another nation and you see the desperation in the people, there is desperation and they come, listen, friends, to be touched by Jesus. This is why they show up. And there is such a hunger and there is such an element of faith. I mean, in, in these services, listen, it, when you say, if someone needs something from Jesus this morning, please come up. I promise you, you can ask mostly anyone in here who has ministered in other nations. The entire room comes up. You don't have to coax them. You don't have to preach a 45-minute message and, and, and pull on their heartstrings and appeal to their emotions. You say, who needs a touch from Jesus? And the entire room will show up. Why? Because there's a desperation. And they understand this thing, that blessed are those who are poor. They know that if they don't get a touch by Jesus, they go home sick. They know that if they don't get a touch from Jesus today, that, that they're, they're going to remain broken. They know that if Jesus doesn't shift the situation in their marriage, that their marriage is going to come to an end. There's no counselors. They can't afford marriage counseling. They can't afford those. They, they need Jesus to come in and intervene. Blessed are the poor. And Jesus wasn't just talking about the spiritual. I believe this does apply in a spiritual context. But listen, friend, this is a social, a social and economic condition. And this is what, what, what we can come to. If everything is stripped away from you, all the wealth, all of the provision, if everything is stripped away from you, now you know what it means to be reliant on Jesus. Now you know what it means to truly be reliant on the only one who can satisfy the things of the soul. It's Jesus. Why are the poor blessed? Why are the poor blessed? Yeah, I, I minister on, on Skid Row once a week. I go out and um, I provide some pastoral services to one of the Skid Row clinics that ministers to um, the homeless population there. You walk those streets and you see some of the suffering that is happening. You see the prostitution and you see the homelessness and you see the addiction. I mean, can, can we picture Jesus standing and at the center of all that saying, blessed are you who are homeless. Blessed are you who are addicted. In this upside down kingdom, like how, do, how does that make any sense? Like how does, how does that make sense that blessed are those? How is this the, the, the higher standard for Jesus in the kingdom? Listen to this, Matthew chapter 19. And it goes back to this, 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 this physical wealth thing. And, and I'm going to try to tie this together for us to the best of my ability. And Jesus said to his disciples, truly I say to you, only with difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. Truly, I say to you that only with difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. 
Again, I tell you, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And when the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished. I mean, you got to think of these disciples who've been living in poverty. These, these, these poor fishermen who Jesus called to even give up what they had to come follow him, or even in, in a poorer state to follow Jesus, would probably look at the Roman Empire and be like, man, if we could just overthrow them to have what they have. If we, if, if we could just be in their position and show them what it would be like to be in our position, then we would be able to you know, be living the life. And so when Jesus is telling them it's hard for a rich person to enter into the kingdom of God, they were astonished because you can think of a person coming from poverty would be thinking, man, if I can just live that dream, then, man, I could serve God. Then, wow, I would be blessed. They were astonished saying, then who can then be saved? Even these followers of Jesus were looking at those who walked in wealth and be like, surely they're blessed. Surely salvation of God has reached them. I mean, look at their life. It looks amazing. Aren't they the blessed ones? But Jesus looked at them and said, with man, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. Look at someone next to you and say, all things are possible with God. All things are possible with God. So now a rich, it's difficult for a rich man to get into heaven. But according to the kingdom of God and Jesus is saying, blessed are the poor because they will inherit the kingdom of heaven. Man, how do we, how do we make that connection? How do, how do we live out that theology? Knowing Jesus' thoughts are higher than our thoughts. Ways are higher than our ways. Blessed are the poor and it's difficult for the rich. I think we need to identify how we came to those conclusions. I think we need to identify how we somehow have have placed earthly and cultural understanding over the kingdom of God. I think this is the problem with the prosperous gospel. And that this prosperous gospel is prevalent in our nation. And what I mean by the prosperous gospel is this, that if you would just accept Christ into your life, God is going to bless you. And if you would just do the things that God is asking you to do, that you are going to be blessed beyond measure. Your finances are going to be blessed. Your marriage is going to be blessed. You're going to start driving a better car. You're going to get a bigger house. You're going to start getting all these wonderful things. Why? Because you have said yes to Jesus. And when you say yes to Jesus, your life is going to be a bed of roses. And guess what? If your life doesn't start looking like that, then you're doing something wrong. Then clearly there's something inside of your life that you haven't teased out of your life. And because of that secret sin or because of that secret thing that you haven't released to God, you are actually living in poverty because something's wrong with you. This is the prosperous gospel. And what's wrong with the prosperous gospel is how does that apply to the poor in poor nations? How does that gospel apply to those people who are living in South America in poverty? How does that apply to those, those believers who will get cut off from government and family and communist nations if they even say the name of Jesus? How does that gospel apply? And I'll tell you, it doesn't. It doesn't apply. So how did this gospel get, 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 you know, come to prominence? 
honestly, friends, it, it's, 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 a, it's a, a this nation thing. This nation. And it, uh, it's prevalent in our nation because it's tied to the American dream. The American dream is what? Have a nice house, two cars, a white picket fence. And I think the number is 2.3 children. I don't know how you have a third of a children, but you can figure that out. In the Constitution, we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal. I say amen to that. And they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights. Certain unalienable rights that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. As an American, I love this. Absolutely. This is the Constitution that, that I, I fought to serve when I served in the Marine Corps. As an American, there's nothing wrong with this. But when this thing becomes the doctrinal stance of our life, that my pursuit of happiness supersedes everything else, something's wrong. The pursuit of happiness has become the goal of the American church. And so when you're not happy, guess what? Then something's wrong. So when you're going through trials, guess what? You're not blessed. Jesus has promised trials. Jesus told us that trials would come. Jesus told us that, that, that winds will blow, as we, as we read about building your house upon the foundation. Storms will come. The pursuit of happiness has become the goal of American church, and the pursuit of happiness has morphed, not just into happiness, it's pursuit of wealth and of comfort. Jesus didn't say, blessed are those who are wealthy. And Jesus didn't say, blessed are those who are comfortable. And yet somehow this, this has become the goal. And why? Because we have allowed the cultural context to invade the church context. And now we are living for the comfort and we're living for the wealth. And if we aren't experiencing comfort and we're not experiencing wealth, then clearly I'm not blessed. I must be doing this Christian thing wrong. And I go back to the Sermon on the Mount and Jesus says, blessed are those who are poor because they will inherit the kingdom of God. Any disruption of this comfort is a sign that God is not with us. Have you experienced that? I must be doing something wrong. I must, man, I must be doing something wrong. Well, my comfort's disrupted. I must be out of favor with God. And yet Jesus says, the poor are blessed. There's a higher way, friends. There's a higher way in the kingdom of God. I'm not promoting a poverty gospel. <laughs> and I got that word from uh, Francis Chan. Because that could be the thing too, right? Well, then are you telling us, Jody, that we got to sell all of our stuff to be poor so that we could be blessed? No, not saying that. The Lord wants you to have good things. I believe the Lord wants you to have a good home. I believe the Lord wants you to have a car that's running and doesn't break down. I believe the Lord wants food on your table. I don't believe the Lord does not want that. But friends, when that becomes the goal of life, the roof over my head, and then a nicer roof over my head, and, and the food on my table, and then nicer food on the table, 
and then the car I drive, and then the nicer, and and this is becoming the striving of our life. And the striving of our life, Jesus is saying, you know what? It's better that you're poor because now you're not striving for that. You're striving to touch me. You're striving to touch me. This is why it's blessed are the poor. This is why it's blessed are the hungry, because you, when you don't know when your next meal is coming from, you turn to Jehovah Jireh, the great provider, and you say, Lord, I don't know how I'm going to eat this next meal. I'm trusting in you, Jesus. And blessed are those who mourn, or blessed are those who weep. You tell me this, friends. You tell me. I have lost loved ones, and I know so many of you have lost loved ones. You tell me when is a greater time that you have been closer to Jesus than when you have lost someone. All you can do is turn to God. Nothing can comfort you. She can't comfort me. He can't comfort me. This can't comfort me. I got to turn to God because he's the only one that can comfort me. Blessed are those who mourn. Why? Because I got to reach out and touch Jesus. It's an upside down kingdom. And it doesn't make sense. But how do we live in that? Again, I don't believe God wants you to live in a constant state of mourning. I don't want Jesus. I don't believe Jesus is wanting you to live in a constant state of hunger. I don't believe Jesus is wanting you to live in a constant state of poverty. It's a heart condition. And in this higher series, you're going to recognize that at every level that we go through. Next week, I'm going to be speaking about sin. Half of you might not show up. Everything goes down to a heart condition. Everything goes down to a heart condition. Everything is a spiritual condition. Luke chapter 6, back to Luke, Luke chapter 6, sorry. Blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy. For behold, your reward is great in heaven. For so their fathers did to the prophets. And friends, in a world that thrives on acceptance, rejection is the ultimate persecution. And I don't know who's more rejected in, the, in, in our society than the poor. A homeless man came in this place smelling like urine and sat next to you. You would be praying that an usher would come and take him out of the room. Who is more rejected than the poor? And this is what Jesus is saying. Blessed are you when they hate you and exclude you. And listen to this. It's not because of you. He says this on my account, on the account, on the account of the son of man, on the account of Jesus. Now, if people hate you because you've wronged them or you sin against them or you're just a jerk, that's all you. You're not blessed. But if they hate you on the account of Jesus, on the account of Jesus, you're blessed. When people exclude you, when people revile you and revile is to criticize you angrily and insult you. When people spurn you, that's to, to reject you for the sake of Jesus. You're blessed. Again, what? No. I don't feel blessed when people reject me. I don't feel blessed when I'm excluded. It's one of the hardest things to navigate as a believer. When you've accepted Christ and become a new creation in him and start living differently, people notice. 
And when those people notice, guess what? You might stop getting asked out with the girls. Because you're different now. You might stop getting asked out with the fellas. Why? Because you're acting all brand new. And you know how they're going to tell you? Oh, you think you're too good for us now. What? Where we once found identity in the acceptance of others, we now place the priority of being accepted by Jesus. Being accepted by Jesus. So when you get excluded, or when you get slandered because you're acting all brand new, rejoice. Rejoice. Rejoice because there is a higher blessing. Galatians chapter 1 verse 10 says this, says this for I am, am now seeking the approval, for am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? And if I were still trying to please man, then I wouldn't be a servant of Christ. Back to Luke, verse 24. But woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. <clears throat> woe to you who are rich. Why? I'm sorry, let me get this. One of some of your versions might say, you've already received your reward. You've already lived on your high horse. <laughs> you've already, I, I love seeing that. Um, you know, those posts and people on the beach and living my best life. Woe to you. I'm going to start putting Luke chapter 6, verse 24 as comments on those pictures. Living my best life, Luke 6, 24. <laughs> You've already received your prize. Listen, friends, I'm not saying you can't enjoy a good vacation, but please don't let that be the epitome of your life. Your best life hasn't come yet. The promises of God haven't been fulfilled yet. Your eternity with King Jesus hasn't been manifested yet. It's not your best life. You're getting to your best life, but it hasn't come yet. Blessed are you who are poor because you will see the kingdom of God. You will see the kingdom of God. Verse 25, woe to you who, who are full now, for you shall be hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. Wow, is Jesus cursing us? Is Jesus cursing you for, for, for living a good life? No, no, no. Heart condition. Heart condition. Is this the goal of your life now? Is, is, is this the prize of your life now? To, 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 uh, right, to live rich and to live full and to laugh now. Is this the, the prize of your life or is Jesus still the prize? Or is the kingdom that is still to come still the goal? Jesus calls us aliens here on this planet. We are foreigners living in a foreign land as ambassadors for Jesus here on earth. And yet we're still wanting to indulge in all this world has to give to us and make that the goal. Friends, it can't be. Because blessed are the poor and the hungry and those who mourn and woe to those who are rich and are full and laugh now and woe to you when all people speak well of you. We're looking for the acceptance of people. Woe to you for all who speak well of you. If you're loved by everyone, I'm telling you, I'm going to tell you this right now, please if you get offended, I already told you last week it's going to happen. 
if everyone loves you, you're probably not doing this Christian thing right. Now, I'm not saying we do things to offend people. And I'm not saying that we're supposed to be rude and arrogant because fruits of the Spirit speak, speak against that. I'm not talking about that. But when you stand for Jesus, people are going to just naturally reject you. If you're accepted by everyone and anyone. Man, Jesus says, when they reject you, don't worry. Don't worry about them rejecting you because they rejected me first. Jesus couldn't even minister in his hometown. Jesus tried to perform miracles. He said he could perform some, but because of their disbelief, he couldn't minister there. Why? Oh, because that's Mary's boy. Didn't he grow up here? Who's this kid trying to heal people around here? Get out of here. We know you. You used to make benches with your dad. Get out. Woe to you when all people speak of you, for so their fathers did to the false prophets. So their fathers did to the false prophets. Those false prophets who all, always prophesied, you know, good things and always prophesied, yeah, the Lord wants to bless you. Prosperous gospel. Oh, the Lord's going to give you good things. And when a real prophet of the Lord says, no, the Lord says this. And if you don't do this, you, you, your persecution is going to come. And then the false prophets say, they're lying. God loves this nation. God would never do anything like that. We want that prophet. That's the prophet we want. <laughs> So their fathers did to the false prophets. This upside down kingdom we were a part of. It brings us to this place of humility, friends. I'm not saying, again, to empty your bank account and stop eating. Don't laugh. I'm saying prioritize the things that God prioritizes. Don't put your hope and your faith in the worldly blessings because it's the kingdom of God, the ultimate blessing that we will receive that should be the thing we strive for. Do you believe that? That's the higher call. That's why the Lord's ways are higher than our ways and his thoughts are higher than our thoughts because I hope you will go home and I hope you begin to process this passage and ask, Lord, how do I apply this to my life? What does this look like for me? Because I, I mean, I have a good job, you know. I have a nice car. Like, what does this mean to? What does this mean for me? How do I apply this in a spiritual context to my world? I know what that means for me, and I can't tell you what to do for you. But I can tell you that we need to to, to stop holding so tightly to the possessions of this world and hold tighter onto Jesus. We got to stop striving, you know, for for the for the for the you know to make that bank account fatter and to put away for, for our retirement and all those things and, and begin to press in to the things of Jesus. That's the goal. Mark chapter 9, verse 35, Jesus sat down and he called the 12 disciples over to him and he said this, whoever wants to be first must take last place and whoever wants to be a servant or, or whoever wants must take last place and be the servant of everyone else. First is last, last is first. Poor is rich, rich is poor. This is an upside down kingdom. Jesus is calling us higher. Who can understand it? The children of God. How does it get revealed? By the Holy Spirit. 
And if it doesn't make sense to you this morning, I want you again, go through this passage and ask the Holy Spirit, reveal to me how I apply this to my life, Lord. Would you guys please stand with me? If you wouldn't mind closing your eyes. My wife has this amazing revelation about finances. It's greater than mine. I'll just be honest with you. She does not worry about money. Ever. She doesn't worry about it. I, on the other hand, worry about money all the time. I'm faithful to the things God has asked me to be faithful to. We tie that of revelation. We give, we give more than, than, than we're required to give because we believe in sowing seeds. And somehow I still, I still struggle with financial thinking and thoughts. And the Lord has had to dismantle those things in my life. Why? So that I can hold on to him. I want us to think about this. How many of your thoughts and your toiling and your struggle are about earthly things? Because this is what Jesus is asking. This is what I believe gets in this message that he's pouring out over the blessed are the poor. Blessed are the hungry. Blessed are those who weep and mourn. Why are they blessed? Why? Because they've let go of worrying about those things and have chosen to hold on to me. This is the place he wants us to get. This is the place he wants you to get. And it only happens through revelation. So this morning, Lord, I pray for revelation. Your thoughts are higher than my thoughts and your ways are higher than my ways. And though in my earthly thinking, I'll never get it. Lord, I, I, I can't practice my way out of this. There has to be a, a, an encounter with you, Jesus. There has to be a revelation from Holy Spirit. And I just pray for revelation, a download from the Holy Spirit. Lord, we want to understand this passage in a way that it works itself out in our lives. Lord, set us free from, from, the, from the desires and the lusts of the world. Lord, set us free from the worries of, of, of richness. I'm not talking about provision, the worry of being rich and the worry of stockpiling and, and the worries of, 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 of oh, geez, um, retirement, God. But I, don't, I know you want us to be wise, but not at the expense of the greater thing, which is you. Help us to trust you, God. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Valen Sissi, why don't you come up real quick? Yeah, give the Lord praise. <clears throat>